Father, may that be our heart's cry, Lord Jesus. Surrendering to you, Lord, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We thank you yet for another day to gather, Lord. And how I pray, Lord Jesus, that we do not take lightly the opportunity that we have to gather, Lord Jesus, to hear your word, to be among fellowship with the church. I thank you, Father, for your word. It's alive and active. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that our hope is in you and in you alone. Father, I pray, Lord God, that your will would be done, that you would receive all glory, all honor. Father, as we fellowship today, as we learn, Father, to to walk in obedience to your leading, to truth, we thank you, Father, that it's in Christ and in Christ alone that we find the abundant life that nothing in this temporal world could compare to Christ our Lord our Savior we know Father that ultimately we were not created for the temporalness of life but that we were created as eternal beings to be reconciled back to our Creator and we know God in your word it declares that we are only reconciled back to our Father through Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for the provision of your Son and the salvation that we find in him. So, Father, as we humble ourselves today, Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers of it. That you would receive all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So, community... A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, or goals. And a while ago I posted this quote that I found on community that I wanted to remind us again. The importance of community. So to take inventory of who is influencing you. Are the people around you fighting for you and leading you in a positive direction or are they holding you back from moving forward? You need people in your life that will fight for you and challenge you. You need at least one person in your life that you can have honest, open, transparent conversations with consistently, con- with consistently to keep you healthy. Being in community is vital. We understand that as the church, Christ builds his church. Christians are drawn into Christ, and as they are drawn into Christ, they are drawn into community with the fellowship of the saints. That we are called collectively to be his hands and his feet. We're not just a community like all the other communities that we find in the temporal world. They may be in agreement with what they believe and who they are and what they like and what they don't like, but it's just temporal. Nothing in the end will come from it. It is the community of the church 
that is established in the earth to be not of it, but in it, not in it, but of it, so that we can be the reflection of Christ, the hope to mankind, the created, to be reconciled back to the Creator. And so as we gather, we gather not in our own strength, we gather not in our own desires and wants, but we gather for Christ, to ultimately to do His will. So let's look at some scriptures on community. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. The scripture says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And oh, how we need to hear this today. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, not by man, but by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division with each other, I'm sorry, let there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose, community. We have been mentioning it for quite some time, or I have been mentioning it for quite some time, that we are behind enemy lines. And my heart over the past few weeks, especially being sick and laid up, (laughs) has been really heavy. For the church, there is so much chaos going on in the religious institution that identifies itself as the church. The world is looking at the church. And the world is influencing the church. There's so much chaos going on in the church. Yes, we should have a burden for the lost and for the world. But are you also praying for the church throughout the earth? For our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. For the way the enemy has crept into the church. And we ought not to be surprised because we're told that in the last days it is only going to increase. I spent a a time a few weeks ago or months ago on apostasy and the great falling away. (laughs) And what the church is going to be up against in the last days. And yet though my heart is heavy for what I'm seeing out there, (laughs) my heart is also (laughs) encouraged because it's only proving the word of God to be true, and that Jesus is returning soon. So yet though our heart and my heart can be heavy, I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged. Because of the hope that is found in Christ. But I ask the Lord each and every single day, 
God, what is it going to take to wake us up? (laughs) To be about our Father's business. To look and to seek for Christ throughout the day. To not miss out on divine appointments. To guard what's been entrusted to us. To live in harmony with one another. To not allow division to creep in. To be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. The enemy is seeking whom he may devour. And yet though there's all this chaos going on in denominations, yet though there's so many pastors and Christian leaders who are falling away from truth, yet though there's all this hurt and and pain and and, and struggle from people who who have been hurt because of, quote-unquote, the church, there's so much going on. What are we doing to be a light in the midst of all of it? To uphold the truth. You know, I'm reminded when the scripture says when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard. The enemy is coming in like a flood and God is raising up a people that are his people who are going to uphold a standard against what is coming in. Are you standing for truth? Or are you just cowering down? Are you bold in your witness? Or are you weak? And, 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 and are, you, are you just giving up and giving in? Because you don't want to be hated. The more that I see all of this rising up, I can't keep encouraging you enough, even though in the temporal mind it's not encouraging, but I can't keep encouraging you enough. You are going to be pushed out of the world system. You are going to be hated. You are going to be attacked. You are going to lose your jobs. You are going to lose your families. You are going to endure... But in the end, you will be found in Christ and you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus himself says that in the last days, all hell is going to hit this earth. You're going to be hated because you belong to him. But be of good cheer, he's already overcame the world, and yet though chaos is ruling the earth, the gospel will still go forth. So we have to wake up, you all. We have to wake up. I, I, I can't keep saying it enough. The way we've done church is over. We can't just abide in, 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 in a religious institution that isn't proclaiming the gospel and living for Christ. We've got to return to who the Lord has been purposed the church for. His people. And this generation that is set apart for Him and Him alone. 
Are you loving Jesus? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength? Do you enjoy the fellowship with Christ and the Holy Spirit, with the church? Are you pressing in? Are you seeking to grow and to mature? Are you not just hearing the word, but are you doing the word? When scripture is read, it is to be obeyed. Not in and of your own strength, but as you allow the Holy Spirit to grow you, to mature you, as you are to walk with him habitually, so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. The word of God is alive and active. And you should be pursuing him. Because if you're truly a Christian, you know in and of yourself, apart from him, you could do nothing. Are you a Christian? Not do you do religious works. Not do you try to appease a a holy God or a wrathful God by, by doing everything right and constantly failing and then going back and beating yourself up and finding yourself and wallowing in shame and condemnation and guilt. No, if you're doing it that way, you're not a Christian. No matter how many times you want to be baptized, say a little prayer or do this or do that or do this or do that, there is nothing in and of yourself that is good enough. That's why we need Jesus. See, the freedom that comes from Jesus. Oh, how I pray that you're preaching it and proclaiming it and encouraging others with it. The freedom that is found in Jesus. I can't, but he can. I'm not good, but he is. I'm in complete rebellion towards God. And I need a savior because I'm a sinner. And because God so loved me and you, he sent Jesus to do what we couldn't. And so all of our hope, all of our strength, everything about us, it's all because of him. If you're in Christ, the level of freedom that you have to continue to, to, to live in a world that is in complete rebellion towards Him. You can walk upright with your head up, yet though everyone else around you is crooked and perverse. You can walk upright. You have all authority, all power, all access to the kingdom of God. You ought to know Him and you ought to know your identity in Him. So that you can live the fullness of life that he has come to give us. That he has purposed for us to live. And so it's not by our righteous acts. It's not anything of us, but it's all of him. Are you a Christian? Do you truly understand what it means? Because listen, there's a lot of people who are calling themselves Christians. There's a lot of people who are influencers, rather on social media or media. They call themselves Christians, and yet they aren't Christians. 
They do not know Christ. Many false teachers are going to rise up. The level of deception is rising up. But those who are truly in Christ will not be deceived. Are you a Christian? Have you been engrafted into the family of God? Have you been adopted? Have you been sealed for the day of redemption? Do you understand that you've been given the right to call Him Abba? To call Him Daddy? You have, you have gained access to God. And God in you, because you've received the Holy Spirit to equip you to what He has called you to and the new way of living because you have been born again of the Spirit. And so you don't keep feasting off of the flesh, off of the world. You've reckoned yourself dead, but alive through Christ. The old man, the old woman is nailed to the cross. Are you waking up daily reminding yourself of this? Are you a Christian? Because those who aren't a Christian will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will be cast out into utter darkness, into hell, where they will be tormented for all eternity. Because they chose here and now to continue to remain in rebellion to God. You can't call yourself a Christian and your mark is and your life is marked by rebellion. You can't call yourself a Christian and go along with the cares of this world, with the influence of the world, have one foot in and one foot out. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Word of God, the Old or the New Testament. And we're living in a society at all levels that are very outspoken. Now, that which used to abide in darkness is now bold in the light, running amok, running the show. He's creating the platform for the Antichrist to step out. Everything is coming to an end. We don't know the day or the hour. Oh, but it's all working together. Ultimately for the good of God and for the Lord's people. But we are going to have to endure. But there is an all-out war against God. An all-out war. And you see it. It's out in the open. That which once was hidden is boldly in your face. Day after day after day after day. And the religious people in the church, those who aren't saved, but sit among us, are in agreement with those who are at war with the throne of God. 
I mean, look at what's happening in our own nation and throughout the earth. Oh, how I pray we awaken. 1 John verse, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And then chapter 2. So 1 John 1, 7 through chapter 2, verse 17. Scriptures, again, that I'm encouraging us to really pray through and think through and act upon when it relates to community. Chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. My dear brothers, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads with our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you've heard before. Yet, it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, And you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. If anyone who loves a fellow believer, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others, and does not cause others, and does not cause others to stumble. But if anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness, such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children. Because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children children 
because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won the battle with the evil one. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving. Hear this. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone, but anyone, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Church, would we hear the word of the Lord today and respond? If you are not in Christ, here's your opportunity. (laughs) Yet again, he loves us enough to reveal himself to us through his son, Jesus, that we might be reconciled back to God. His desire and his will is that none shall perish. He will not force you to love him or to receive from him. But he is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. He has made a way, and I've said over and over, God gets a bad rap. We hold up our fist against him. We blame him. In reality, it's us. He is a holy God. Holy, holy, holy He's not our homeboy. We don't strip him down to make him common as we are. No, we see him for who he is. And we see us for who we are in complete rebellion towards him. And we humble ourselves in front of him. And we receive freely this gift that we really don't deserve. But he freely gives it to those who will respond to him this free gift of salvation to be born again no longer a slave to sin no longer craving the things of this earth and of this world no longer clinging to your possessions or your promotions (laughs) but remaining humbled and being about your father's business. This is the community in which, if you were a Christian, that you belong to. You're called to encourage, to edify, to build each other up, to keep pointing each other onward and upward, (laughs) to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I remember when I first went to church, as, as a believer, still wrestling and dealing with a lot of things of my old self. But one thing I didn't do, 
is to demand the church to adapt to me. To make me feel good in it. I knew I wasn't going to. I knew those people that were in those buildings living that life were not just going to cater to me and my wills and my wants and my desires. If they truly loved me, if they truly loved God, then they're going to love me with the love of God by upholding the standard of God to me. And as you know, there's many churches that I went to in the beginning that they threw me out. I wasn't welcomed. They had all these reasons why I couldn't be there. And that confused me. It hurt me. But I wasn't there seeking the approval of man. I was there searching for the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. They just weren't prepared to receive what God was bringing. God is doing a mighty work throughout the earth, awakening people who have been dead in their sins. And they're seeking the one who has called them out. They're not seeking for man, but they're seeking for God. And it wasn't until I received that revelation from God that really awakened me. You know, I hear all these stories, and I've said all of this before. We all have been hurt by the church, by Christians, by God. We all have our sad story. But we better get up and get over it. And get our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Stop allowing your wounds and your hurts to be your God. Stop allowing what the church or Christians did to you to be that which motivates you to keep you from God. What kind of craziness is that? God is the author and the giver of life. And when I finally connected to a body of Christ that loved on me, not catered to me, and just pat me on my back, go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that I hear, what quote-unquote churches are saying to people, I go, my God, you're keeping them bound to hell. Because you're not raising up a standard. You're not loving them with truth. You're not walking through it with them. And how sad. How sad that we just got comfortable just showing up, sitting down, and going right back out. And living however we want. Chasing the things of this world. Giving into the desires of the flesh. Listening more to the lies of the enemy than from the than the truth of God, putting on a pretense, uh, a pre- pretending in front of others who are desperately seeking God, <coughs> but pretending like you've got it together in reality, you don't. All you have is a form of religion that denies the power of God, and you've got people who the power of God are awakening, and they see that in your life. 
They see behind the facade that really you are because there's no depth to your life. Oh, you may pray good. You may sound right. (laughs) But the Spirit in them quickens them to know that you're not the one to mold a life of Christ, to be an example for them. They ought to be an example to you because of the hunger that they have for the things of God. Their life may not be all together, but one thing that they have, they've been awakened. They're not woke. They're awakened. God is raising up a people because God is raising up a standard in this day, in this generation, the people of God that will stand for God. Enough is enough. The line has been drawn And either you're for Christ or you're against Him. Either you're pressing in and pressing on, or you've retreated and you've gone back. You're an apostate. But oh, how I pray that you're part of the community of believers in this hour and in this day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. Brothers and sisters, we urge you, I'm sorry, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. He's writing to the community of believers, yet again, giving instructions. And as I've told you, and as you've heard many times before, you want to know what it is to live in community as a Christian? Then study the book of Acts through Jude. These are writings to the church to encourage them, to edify them, to build them up, to hold them accountable to the standard that God is raising up in every generation. Not just to cave in and to crumble, but to be able to stand and stand therefore. We're moving on to the Heidelberg Catechism. Man, I think it's been almost a month or at least three weeks that we haven't been together. But I hope you haven't forgotten about the Heidelberg Catechism. This teaching years ago to ground the church in her identity in Christ. To be able to evangelize. To bear witness. To contend. To fight for the faith. Are you getting grounded? Is your witness becoming bolder? Are you contending for the faith? 
Oh, you ought to be. If your mind, if you're distracted, if you're in despair, if you're overwhelmed, if you're running amok, would you, if you're a Christian, would you just stop? Would you repent? Would you get up and move on and move forward? Come on. It's time to live this out. The days are getting darker and darker and darker, but you are to be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. You can find, if you want the link to the catechism, if you can't find it, and it's a Heidelberg, it's this specific one, then reach out to me or we'll post it again because it was posted once and sent in the notes. <clears throat> but you ought to be studying through it. You ought to be using it in your time, in your own personal time of devotion. You ought to be able to, to read the question and begin to answer the question so that you can be able to share it with others. You ought to know where these scriptures, that these answers are based on, where they are in scripture, and you ought to be meditating upon these truths. So we're on the Lord's Day 7, part 2 of the Catechism, which is deliverance. Question number 20. Are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? No. Only those who are saved who through true faith and grateful, I'm grafted, I'm sorry, and grafted into Christ are accepted and accepted all of his Benefit. So let's read this again. Question 20. Are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? No, only those who are saved, who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all of his benefits. As we know, through Adam, all men and all women, everyone who has been born are in sin and complete rebellion to God. But only those, only those who call upon the name of the Lord, who receive from Christ this gift of salvation, are born again of a new nature. Praise be to God. The scriptures will be given to you so you can study when Carrie sends out the notes. Question 21, what is true faith? How would you answer that if someone came to you and asked you, what is true faith? Oh, how I pray that you would learn this answer. And you don't have to learn it verbatim, but you have to understand it to where you'll be able to communicate it to others. So what is true faith? True faith is not only assured knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture, it is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit, not by man, not by anything you could do. So true faith. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. 
It is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. Question 22. What then must a Christian believe? Question 22. How would you answer this? What then must a Christian believe? And the answer. All that is promised us in the gospel. A summary of which is taught us in the articles of our universal and undisputed Christian faith. So then what must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, a summary of which is taught us in the articles of our universal and undisputed Christian faith. And then finally for today, question 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism on Lord's Day 7, part 2 of Deliverance. Well, then what are these articles? And here they are. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, of, of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell, then the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. For there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and everlasting life. And life everlasting. These are the articles. This is, this is your faith. This is your belief. So again, what are these articles? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. The Heidelberg Catechism. This teaching that ought to be encouraging you to get grounded, you all. <laughs> to get rooted into Christ. There's a great shaking taking place throughout the earth. And it's only, it's only going to get worse. It's not getting better. <clears throat> it's only getting worse. And we ought not to crumble. We ought not to fear. We ought to, again to be upholding a standard first for yourself and then to others. There is a way in which we are called to live. And there's a way in which we are called to be equipped and prepared for the time that we are in. I keep encouraging us, you are not a mistake. You're not an accident. You were purposed for today. 
for this generation to be a light, to be the hands and the feet of our Lord and Savior, to be His mouthpiece, to be interceding, to remain on the watchtower, praying and interceding, serving and loving as our Lord did while He was on this earth. We heard in Scripture just a bit ago, how are we to be living like Jesus did? You're to be being conformed and transformed into His likeness. How's that going for you? Don't settle. Don't settle for just the crumbs. Have the assurance that you have a place at the table that He is prepared. Take your seat and trust in Him at all times. Give Him praise. Give Him glory. Give Him honor. Live for Christ, for God's sakes, if you're calling yourself a Christian. Stop allowing everything and anything to define you when it's Christ who is the author and the finisher of what He has begun in you. You did not start this. So stop trying to do it in your, in your purpose and in, in your strength and in your flesh because it can't be done. You're either a Christian or you're not. There's no such thing as in it, one foot in and one foot out. There's no gray line. You're either in Christ or you're not. Are you in Christ? If you died now, this very second, are you going to hear, well done? Are you going to hear, depart from me? That's the reality, you all. And that's not to scare you, but that is just the truth. That's because that's what Jesus says. He's made everything available to reveal these truths to you. He is pleased to reveal himself to you. To give you life. And life in abundance. Are you abiding in Christ? What are you doing when you're tempted? What are you doing in the storms of life? What are you doing? How are you managing your day today, today, today's desires, thought patterns? And again, it's not that you're going to be perfect, but you ought to be maturing. You ought to, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to feel the conviction. Stop feasting off of that. Stop going there. Stop thinking that. Stop speaking that. Stop hiding that. Live your life out in the light. You're not going to find any comfort in darkness. You will only find destruction. We are to be the children of light. And that angers people. People will push back against you. but remain in the light. Because darkness cannot extinguish the light. So live out loud, y'all. 
Live bold. Live for Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus, then turn to Him. Because again, He's giving you yet another opportunity. And it's all by faith. By faith. That you believe. And that you're able to bear witness and live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit that you would receive once you, by faith, believe. And if you have belief and a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, you're saved. You recognize that you're a sinner in and of yourself. You've got nothing good to give to God. And so you humble yourself. And when you truly see the love of God, how much He loves you, and all that He did for you, so that you would be reconciled to Him, to live for all eternity with Him. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, you all. There's nothing in this temporalness of life can't say it enough that can compare to his love nothing oh it may give you something for a moment but that's all it is because it's temporal but in Christ he's eternal oh praise God go to 1 Kings we're starting a new book in the Old Testament 1 Kings chapter 1 That's what we're going to read today. So a little introduction to 1 Kings. Has a lot to reveal to us and to display to us about leadership. When we have a godly leader in place, the nation will prosper. When you have a wicked leader in place, the nation will begin to crumble. And as it was then for Israel, so it is for any nation upon the earth. When they are led by righteousness, the land will prosper. Prosper. The people will prosper. But if they're led by wickedness and evil, destruction and ruin will come. For Israel, remember God set them apart for them to be His people. He kept encouraging them to do as He says so that they will receive from Him. But as soon as they would receive from him, they began to look elsewhere. They saw what the other nations were doing. And why can't we do like they do? Really, how bad can it be? And so they began to trade (coughs) the blessings of God for the curses of the other nations. And we're no different. We're no different when we're in our flesh. 
the flesh, nothing good comes from it. But in the Spirit, when you walk in the Spirit, you freely receive from the Lord, you receive the blessing of God, you are marked as His people. Remember, God's plan and purpose from Genesis to Revelation, that He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. They would live for Him, they would honor Him, that they would love Him with their whole being. That's a Christian. But it's vital that you understand that who you follow is either leading you into truth or they're leading you into destruction. You better know who's leading. And you better know who, what leader you are promoting to put into power. Because effective leadership often has more to do with character than accomplishments. At least that seems to be the case in the book of 1 Kings. The books of 1 and 2 Kings form one book in the Hebrew Bible, covering the period when kings ruled Israel after David's reign. First king opens with the death of David, followed by the reign of Solomon and the building of the temple in Jerusalem. The book then records Solomon's death and the division of the kingdom into northern and southern halves, Israel and Judah. This division resulted from a foolish decision by Solomon's heir, Rehoboam. Despite wise advice from his older advisors, Rehoboam chose to follow the policy of harsh rule, and the northern tribes rebelled. First king then begins a chronicle of each king who ruled Israel or Judah, <coughs> giving him a rating of either good or bad, depending on his faithfulness to God and the covenant. The book closes with a great conflict between Elijah the prophet and Ahab king of Israel. So what's the purpose of 1 Kings? The contrast, to contrast the lives of the godly and ungodly kings throughout the history of Israel and Judah, and to demonstrate the consequences of idolatry and wickedness. And so the themes that we're going to see and read through, idolatry, the temple, good and bad kings, the rise of the prophet movement, sin and its consequences. Now ultimately as we're study as we're studying the, the book of First Kings and into Second Kings, we're going to recognize and we should be reminded of the of the covenant that God made with King David. That ultimately there will come one through the line through the lineage of David's family that will rule and reign on the throne forever. And we know who that is. That's Jesus. So we're going to see now how we're going to weave in and out throughout this period of time for Israel where certain kings will be established on the throne. Some were righteous. Some were unrighteous. But ultimately, the promise will be fulfilled. Because ultimately, the righteous king, 
the King of Kings, Jesus, appears. Comes to earth to redeem the people of God. And His throne is never going to end you all. His throne is never going to end. So 1 Kings, we pick up David in his old age. King David was not very old. And no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. So his, his advisors told him, That is fine, a young virgin, to wait on you and look after you, my lord. She will lie in your arms and keep you warm. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found Abishag from Shumnim and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him, but the king had no sexual relations with her. About that time, David's son, Adonijah, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting. I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any, at any time. <laughs> Even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Ab- Absalom, and he was very handsome. Adonijah took Joab, son of Zerah, and Abathar, the priest, into his confidence, and they agreed to keep him, I'm sorry, they, they agreed to help him become king. But Zadok, the priest, Barneas, son of jo- Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and David's personal bodyguard refused to support Adonijah. And Adonijah went to the stone of Zoopheth near the spring of Enrol, where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves. He invited all of his brothers, the other sons of King David, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the king's bodyguard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and asked her, "Haven't you heard what Haggith's son Adonijah has made him? I'm sorry, Adonijah has made himself king, and our Lord David doesn't even know about it. If you want to save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, follow my advice. Go at once to the king. Go at once to King David and say to him, "My Lord the king, didn't you make a vow and say to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king?" And will sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? And while you are still talking with him, I will come and confirm everything you have said. So Bathsheba went into the king's bedroom. He was very old now, and Abishag was taking care of him. Bathsheba bowed down before the king. What can I do for you? He asked her. She replied, My lord, you made a vow before the Lord your God. When you said to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. But instead, Adonijah has made himself king. And my lord, the king, does not even know about it. He has sacrificed many cattle, fattened calves and sheep. And he has invited all the king's sons to attend the celebration. He also invited Abathar, the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army. But he did not invite your servant Solomon. 
And now, my lord, the king, all Israel is waiting for you to announce who will become king after you. If you do not act, my son Solomon and I will be treated as criminals as soon as my lord, the king, has died. (coughs) While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived. The king's officials told him, Nathan the prophet is here to see you. Nathan went in and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Nathan asked, My lord, the king, have you decided that Adonijah will be the next king and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has sacrificed many cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and he has invited all the king's sons to attend the celebration. He also invited the commanders of the army of Abathal the priest. They are feasting and drinking with him, shouting, Long live King Adonijah! But he did not invite me or Zadok the priest or Benia or your servant Solomon. Has my lord the king really done this without letting any of his his officials know who should be the next king? King David responded, Call Bathsheba. So she came back in and stood before the king, and the king repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives, <coughs> who has rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I bowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground before the king and exclaimed, My Lord, King David, live forever. Then King David ordered, Call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehodah. When, the when they came into the king's presence, the king said to them, Take Solomon and my officials down to, Gai, to the Gihon spring. Solomon is to ride on my own mule. There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout, Long live King Solomon! Then escort him back here, and he will sit on my throne. He will succeed me as king, for I have appointed him to be ruler (coughs) over Israel and Judah. Amen. Benaiah, son of Jehodeah, replied, May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, decree that it happen. And may the Lord be with Solomon as he was with you, has been with you. May the Lord King and may I'm sorry, may the Lord King and may he make Solomon's reign even greater than yours. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehodiah, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to Gihon Spring, where Solomon, with Solomon riding on King David's own mule. There Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with oil. They then sounded the ram's horns, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. Adonijah and the guests and his guests heard the celebrating and shouting just as they were finishing their banquet. When Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn, he asked, What's going on? Why is this city in such an uproar? And while he was still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest, arrived. Come in, Adonijah said to him, for you are a good man. You must have good news. No, not at all, Jonathan replied. 
Our Lord King David has just declared Solomon king. Hmm. The king sent him down to Gihon Spring with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benia, son of Jedidiah, or Jedidiah, um, pro- protected by the king's bodyguard. They had, they had him ride on the king's own mule, and Zadok and Nathan have anointed him at Gihon Spring as the new king. They have just returned, and the whole city is celebrating and rejoicing. That's what all the noise is about. What's more, Solomon is now sitting down, sorry, what's more, Solomon is now sitting on the royal throne as king. And all the royal officials have gone to King David and congratulated him, saying, May God, may your God make Solomon's fame even greater than your own, and may Solomon's reign be even greater than yours. Then the king bowed his head in worship as he laid in his bed, and he said, Praise the Lord. The God of Israel, who today has chosen a successor to sit on my throne while I am still alive to see it. Then all of Adonijah's guests jumped up in panic from the banquet table and quickly scattered. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. So he rushed to the sacred, <laughs> to the sacred tent and grabbed on to the horns of the altar. Word soon reached Solomon that Adonijah had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading, Let King Solomon swear today that he will not kill me. (laughs) Solomon replied, If he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he will die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah. And they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon, who dismissed him, saying, go home. Wow. It plays out (laughs) like a movie. King David's at the end of his life. His handsome son, this good-looking guy... Decides for himself that he will be king. He gathers those around him, even some of the advisors and priests that served David. And in his own strength, and in his own purpose, he tried to put it into play. But God, but God, you all, has a plan. And God's plan was for King Solomon to replace King David. God's plan is always better. Oh, God will give you what you want. And you will suffer the consequences if you keep pressing Him. But when God's plan is in place, God begins to prosper those who are part of the plan. And so we have to trust God, you all. As we read through chapter 1, we put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in God and God alone and His plan. And that's why as people as God, we need to be about God's business. Trusting in the Lord. Seeking the Lord. Hearing from the Lord. And responding in obedience to the Lord. There's lessons that we can learn 
We should never promote ourselves in any situation in life. No, we should remain humble. And allow God, the Lord God, do the promoting. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we're heading. I'm going to read the whole chapter there. The church has been birthed. We started the book of Acts a few weeks ago. The people of God, the men of God, the disciples, the apostles, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. People are being saved. The church is growing. And so we pick up in chapter 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests. So again, these priests, they're supposedly these men of God, the, the men of their day, of their hour, who were supposedly representing God. They didn't even know God. And yet, just as they were frustrated with Jesus, now they're frustrated with the followers of Jesus. So, they were, Peter and John were speaking to the people. They were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus... There is a resurrection of the dead. They they arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. The Lord is adding to their numbers, you all. Those who are being saved. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people in Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in Scripture where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Oh God, do people recognize that about you? (laughs) But since they could see the man, but since they could see the man 
who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders have said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now, look how they respond. They didn't respond in fear. They didn't respond in cowering down and backing away and dispersing. No, no, no. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, (coughs) Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness. In preaching your word. Oh, do you pray that for yourself? Do you pray that for the church? Oh, how you ought to be. (laughs) Listen to what they prayed for. And now, oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Wow. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And God's great blessing was upon them all. 
There was no needy people among them because those who were owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, one, the one, I'm sorry, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Oh, how we can be encouraged today through the reading of the word, through this chapter in the book of Acts, giving us great hope, great encouragement, that if we would just be about our Father's business, if we would be united in in heart and mind and purpose and serving the Lord together and seeking Him together and crying out together to the Lord for boldness, for strength, to do the will of the Father, to go forth, to announce the resurrected Christ, if we would just live it out, you all, as we should, instead of cowering down, still shackled up in chains, oppressed and depressed, (laughs) oh no, we're the church of the living God. And we are called for this hour to be about our Father's business. And it can't just be amen today (laughs) and then nothing tomorrow. It can't just be, yes, Lord, today, and then nothing on Tuesday. It can't just be, oh, I'm worshiping God today, and yes, God, this is good, and this is great, but by Wednesday, you're downtrodden, defeated, overwhelmed with despair and lust. Come on, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. You got to fan the flame, or by Thursday, you're going to be cold. And useless. And we got to wake up. We got to seek him above all. Or by Friday you'll be in the arms of the deceiver. And by Saturday you're wrestling with the very thought even if you belong to God. And then Sunday's yet upon you. It can't just be one day. It is a lifestyle. It is who you are. It is how you're living. It is who you are seeking. It is humbling yourself, not giving over to your desires, your wants, your will. It's not promoting yourself. But it's recognizing the day and the hour in which we are in. It's being displayed right before us. Everything that the Word has captured. We're living in the end times. And as the church, we're not to be overwhelmed by fear. No, no. We are to be empowered and emboldened to go forth and to shine brightly, bearing the image of our resurrected King. Go to Psalm 124. Psalm 124. Psalm 124 It's a psalm of David What if the Lord Had not been on our side 
that all of Israel repeat. What if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us and torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of the fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What powerful scriptures those verses, those eight verses are. Do you remember what the Lord has done in your life? Can you recall of His greatness and of His goodness towards you? Can you just praise Him and give Him thanks? Can you honor Him with your life? Can you testify of who He is and the freedom that you have found in Jesus? Proverbs 16, verse 24. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. What words are proceeding from your mouth? Oh, I pray that they are kind words. Words that would encourage, words that would edify Words that would build up. I'm going to close us with this last song of worship. And then I'll close us in prayer.